Welcome to AFT in Action, a podcast for members of AFT Connecticut-affiliated local unions. We're approximately 30,000 working people in the public and private sectors, teachers and school support staff, nurses and healthcare workers, higher education faculty and public employees in nearly 90 unions across the state. The series provides a deeper dive into issues impacting our members and our movement as part of AFT Connecticut's engagement and communications efforts. Welcome, sisters and brothers, to another episode of AFT in Action. My name is Jan Hockadell, your State Fed President, and your co-host for this latest episode. Today, we will be discussing the struggles that our nurses are living with day to day due to limited staffing. Nurses are being assigned more and more patients to the point that it's unsafe. AFT Connecticut is asking the legislature to pass a bill that would ensure safe patient limits in Connecticut's hospitals and health settings. And to help with the discussion today, we have Sherry Dayton, who is a nurse and currently the president of the Bacchus Federation of Nurses, as well as AFT Connecticut's Divisional Vice President for Healthcare. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you for having me. Sherry, can you just share with us what it's like at a hospital that does not have the safe patient limits? Well, unfortunately, most hospitals in Connecticut don't have the safe patient limits. So um, especially even before the pandemic, there were times that there were very, very unsafe staffing. Um, all you have to do to consider what that means is, is if you're a patient in the hospital or if your mother or father are a patient in the hospital, your child's a patient in the hospital, how many other patients do you want that nurse to have? At this point, it's six, seven, eight, maybe nine. I've heard as much as 10 in Connecticut since the pandemic has started. Is that every shift, every day? No, but I, uh, I read a, uh, an article one time that, uh, that depicted it like this. Sometimes people drink, drink and drive and they don't get into a car accident. It doesn't mean it's not dangerous. And it doesn't mean that it can be very severe consequences because of it. And with us today, we have a special guest, Representative Jillian Gilchrist, who after serving on West Hartford's Board of Education for five years, was elected in 2018 to represent West Hartford's 18th House District. She serves as Vice Chair of Public Health Committee and on both the Appropriations and the Energy and Technology Committees. She also chairs the Women's and Children's Health Subcommittee of the Medical Assistance Program Oversight Council. And in her downtime, she teaches at the University of St. Joseph's, University of Hartford, and Sacred Heart University. Wow, you're a one busy lady. <laughs> Welcome, Jillian. Thank you very much. And I also have two kids. <laughs> wow. <for> having me. <laughs> so Jillian, what motivated you to run for the local board of ed and then as a representative? I've always been interested, well, ever since college in empowering women and women's leadership. And so it really was this put your money where your mouth is kind of thing. Um, if I'm telling other women that they should step up, then I should too. And I had the opportunity to serve as a legislative aide um, at the legislature. And from the first moment I saw the legislators debating, I knew that someday I wanted to serve in office. Over the last year, I've been part of a coalition to... Um advocate for women's health, um, basically based on the fact that they closed the women's uh, labor and delivery at Wyndham Hospital. Um, we've done things like um, gone around and got a petition signed. We've you know, um, had candlelight vigils. Can you please share some of your experiences with women's health advocacy? Starting in college, um, that's where the passion really started. Um, I began volunteering for the sexual assault crisis center in that area of the state. I went to UConn 
and um, doing that work, it really drew me to public policy because I was interested in the systems um, that were keeping people um, in poverty and from disclosing abuse. And so um, that led me to seek out opportunities to do public policy. And from there on, I really have always focused in women's health and safety. Um, one of the first bills I had the opportunity to work on at the legislature was ensuring that victims of sexual assault have access to plan B. And that was an eye-opening experience that really brought together um, both women's health and women's safety, right? And um, the debate became more about abortion, even though plan B isn't abortion, um, instead of a victim's rights issue. Um, and so from then on, I really spent the majority of my time in Connecticut working for different advocacy organizations like the Alliance to End Sexual Violence, Connecticut Coalition Against Domestic Violence, the Permanent Commission on the Status of Women, um, working at the state legislature championing um, women's health issues. And in this role as a state representative, I feel so fortunate to get to lead on many of these issues. I'm uh, co-chairing the Reproductive Rights Caucus this legislative session. Um, we know, unfortunately, women's reproductive rights are under attack across this country. Um, as was mentioned, I, I get to chair the Women and Children's Health Subcommittee of MAPOC, which oversees Connecticut's Medicaid program, and I still chair the Trafficking and Persons Council. So um, pretty much every day, I kind of wake up and see how can I try and improve uh, conditions for, for women here in the state of Connecticut. So I imagine your work as a women's health advocate in some ways helped you prepare for the pandemic. Can you share what some of your experiences serving on the public health committee during the pandemic was like? Serving on the public health committee and being a state representative was fascinating during the pandemic. Um, serving the district I serve, um, before the pandemic, I'd say it was about 20% constituent work, 80% policy work. When the pandemic happened, that flipped immediately. Um, and my community as well as, and my community was better than most, um, but um, I think all communities experience need like never before. And so it was really responding to constituent concerns. Then getting to serve on the public health committee and getting to be in these conversations um, about just in real time, how you respond to something that everyone's learning about. Um, and it was, I feel fortunate that I had the opportunity to be learning um, with experts in our state about what was happening, what was coming next, um, and how many different pieces the pandemic touched. And what I mean by that, I mean speaking to the nursing profession, speaking to just all these different ways. So an, another story that always comes to mind um, is in my town, and I'm sure this again was across the state, um, the dry cleaners is a business for an example, like all of a sudden they didn't have any customers and how were they gonna survive? It was just all the different ways um, that the pandemic was impacting people. What it also showed me um, from a public health lens is I always was a believer that we needed healthcare for all, but it really illustrated to me that during a time of crisis, our response as government was to ensure people had access to healthcare. And so why do we need to wait for a crisis? Why aren't we putting that as a priority always? Um, because the other piece too, is that all of our health depends on one another. Um, 
it's been really sad um, to see some of the reactions to getting the vaccine or wearing the mask, um, both sad and infuriating at times uh, because um, I'm raising my children and I'm trying to have conversations about this concept of public health. And we all need to play our part to ensure that those among us who have pre-existing conditions or for some reason cannot get the vaccine or can't wear a mask, then why can't we step up and do that if it doesn't impact us in such a negative way? As a nurse and as a uh, union representative, I speak to nurses all the time and what their issues are. Before the pandemic, but certainly after the pandemic and during the pandemic, we have been having a lot of mandatory overtime. As a um, union, we've been working on getting a bill written. Um, we've had nurses and myself have testified. We've been able to get that bill out of the labor committee. Can you share your thoughts on what we need to do to get the, this passed, the safe patient care legislation? As an advocate of my heart, um, so yes, I'm a state representative, but doing advocacy for so long, I love this question. Um, and so thank you for asking. I think it's reminding folks um, that you all were there and continue to be there, um, that you're on the front lines. And when many of us could work from home and could take the safety precautions that were being advised, you went right into the face of danger. Um, every day. And the fact that we are expecting more and more from your profession um, without recognizing all that you've already given um, is just rude and horrible. Um, so I don't, I don't know if you can send that message, but, you know, reminding folks of the hearts in the windows, right? Like we did that at my house, like everyone put out in our town the signs with the hearts. Um, we support you. It's like you, we're saying you're our heroes, but then we're not treating you like that. Um, and I think also in our state, as we're having these very important conversations about mental health, um, which are long overdue, we also need to be speaking to the mental health of our providers. And so to keep asking you all to do more and more and more um, without thinking about the consequence that's taking on both your physical and your mental health, I think is also um, incredibly wrong on our part. Could you also share um, some suggestions on what the role individual nurses can do to help move this bill forward? What you'll always hear is, you know, each legislator is different, um, but in terms of what kind of communication they like. But at this point in time with us still so infrequently in the legislative office building, Email is the best bet. Um, so sending emails to your legislator or to the legislators on a particular committee that you need the bill to get out of. Um, what also for me um, works best is of course use the formatted email maybe that the group is sending out. But if at the beginning of the email you kind of tie it to your relationship to the town or just letting the lawmaker know like I am your constituent um, and you know, this is where I live or this is where I work. Um, it just personalizes the message. And um, I just always find that very compelling. You could certainly, folks could call, um, but really the calling and the hard copy letters when we're not at the building, I just don't think is as effective as, um, again, sending emails. And then come April, 
Um, we did just learn, uh, we'll be going into session definitely one day the week of, uh, I believe it's April 14th, but that next week and the rest of April into May will be in session most days. So potentially organizing an event either outside or on the first floor of the Capitol building could be a really effective strategy. That's such great advice. In fact, we have organized a lobby day for Wednesday, April 13th from two to 6 p.m. to do exactly what you suggested to meet with our legislators and share our stories. Oh, that's wonderful news. It really means so much to us when we can learn right from the people who are, are directly impacted. Um, so that's just fantastic. And I look forward to seeing you all there. I'm looking forward to it. I hope our members are looking forward to it also. Beyond that, what more do you think we could do as a union? I suppose using um, the union to get that information out to folks, um, but maybe tying it to the bigger issue of like why we, why we have unions in the first place and the history and that it's to protect working workers from poor working conditions. And right now that's what's happening, right? Like these are really horrible working conditions um, that in having spoken to nurses, but of course I would defer to you. I hear like you went into the profession cause you, you're helpers and you love the work. And so when you're being asked to cover these additional shifts, so I've been told, there's just something in you that's like, well, if no one else is gonna do it, like I need to do it. It's kind of like that team um, and or there is some really good money being offered and that's hard to turn down. But again, we can't jeopardize um, the health uh, for the poor working conditions. What we have found with uh, talking to other elected officials is that they don't quite understand the issue until we start making them understand the poor outcomes that can happen to patients when mandatory overtime takes effect. Poor outcomes such as increased mortality rates, increased infections, increased falls, increased medication errors. That's really interesting. Um, not so surprising, but interesting. Um, what I find is a lot of people can relate to a topic only from the lens of how it would impact them. Um, I wish everyone didn't, <laughs> didn't have to be like that. Um, but I could see, you know, if someone's not a nurse or has never been a nurse or doesn't have a nurse in their family or any kind of healthcare provider, they can't sometimes relate then to the experiences of being a nurse. But to your point, it's like, I think most people could put themselves in the shoes of being a potential patient or they've known someone, a loved one or a friend in the hospital. And so to hear that information that, their loved one would be jeopardized. I could see why that's a very compelling issue. Same for me. I certainly wouldn't want um, my loved ones, you know, getting um, subpar care, but it makes complete sense if you have a workforce that is just overworked, um, mistakes are going to be made. And so I think that is really an important argument to make that to ensure people get the healthcare we want them to get, we need to support the folks who are providing that care. Representative Gilchrist, one last question for you. Um, as Sherry mentioned, we're part of a coalition that is fighting to have Wyndham's maternity ward reopened. The hospital closed it without going through the proper channels. And so we're wondering if you could share your thoughts on the proposal to reform the certificate of need law to protect the maternity and intensive care services. Sure, and thank you all so much for your work on this um, important policy. 
I was horrified um, to hear. I had known about what was going on in Sharon, Connecticut that had been happening at that hospital kind of on and off. And then once Wyndham closed their maternity, um, that's where I originally worked. I worked out in Willimantic after I attended the University of Connecticut. So I know that area of the state really well. Um, as a crisis counselor, I would respond to the hospitals out there. That was part of my role. So of all the places I know in Northeast Connecticut, I know the hospitals. Um, so when we're having that conversation, I know full well how long it would take someone and how it is not direct, it's not a highway, um, how you would have to get from Willimantic to anywhere else out there. Um, so the bill itself, I've loved getting to learn more and sit in on those conversations. I go to the money. I think at the end of the day, um, the penalty right now is so low that it's just being put into the hospital's cost of doing business. And so if we really want these hospitals to play by the rules and to follow the law, um, I think the financial implication for them not following the law has to be increased significantly. Um, I also, again, it goes back to this idea of what is the point of healthcare. And I'm oftentimes shocked coming out of a pandemic that we didn't learn this lesson stronger, it feels, um, because it is about the public health and, the, and, and healthcare shouldn't be about profit, but that's really what, to me, this is about. Um, you know, they, they're saying they either don't make enough money or there's not enough patients, but a hospital is supposed to serve the community and there are women in the community giving birth. And so we need to ensure that when someone needs to, to give birth, they don't have to get in a car um, and potentially give birth on the side of a road. I mean, that's just absurd that that would happen in today's day and age here in the, in the state of Connecticut. Representative Gilchrist, thank you for joining us as a guest today and for answering our members' questions, but especially for your advocacy in women's health and putting, you know, patients before profits, and as a recovery for all champion for the past two legislative sessions. Well, thank you for the work you do and for having me today. And thank you, Sherry, for co-hosting with me again and for engaging in the discussion with Representative Gilchrist. And thank you also for all you do, not only with the RNs at Bacchus, but also your leadership in serving on AFT Connecticut's Executive Committee and Healthcare Council. Thank you very much for having me, and it was very nice having a conversation with you. As we do at the end of each podcast, I want to stop and just thank our members for everything that they do every day and for listening to the podcast. And I invite members to submit suggestions and questions for our next episode of AFT in Action, which will focus on the wins during the legislative session and also look ahead to our electoral work. Please let us know your thoughts. Send comments by email to actnetreply at aftct.org. That's A-C-T-N-E-T. R-E-P-L-Y at sign A-F-T-C-T dot O-R-G. Or you can leave a voice message by dialing 860-257-9782 and asking for extension 116. That's 860-257-9782, extension 116. I am looking forward to including your voices. Thank you for all you do. That's a wrap for this latest edition of AFT in Action. Additional episodes are available at our Podbean page and social media channels, all of which can be found at aftct.org. Like what you heard? Then share with fellow members and encourage they give it a listen too, and help build the power of the UNI in union.